protesters being removed from outside of Mitch McConnell's office. You can see many of them are in wheelchairs. Oh, lovely. Protesters in wheelchairs being removed. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I'm tired of all this winning. Right. Things are just getting better I'm so and better. I'm scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. Palinville, New York's 102.9 FM WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, amongst other fine affiliates across this planet. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Coming up, uh, remember when U.S. Army intelligence uh, analyst Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning, released all of those documents and videotapes on the U.S. Apache helicopter pilots gunning down people, including uh, Reuters journalists in Baghdad, Iraq, all of those years ago? And all of those other documents from the Afghanistan war and those diplomatic cables via released via WikiLeaks years ago. Remember how we were told that the leak of those documents had deadly consequences for Americans and their allies in the so-called war on terror? Well, all of these years later, we finally get a look at the intelligence community's damage assessment of uh, Chelsea Manning's leaks, thanks to BuzzFeed journalist and Freedom of Information Act champion Jason Leopold. He'll be joining us momentarily to discuss uh, what the documents that he was finally able to shake out of the federal government actually tell us about all of that, even as Manning has finally been released early after seven years, seven years of imprisonment uh, from her 35-year sentence, thanks to a commutation late last year by then-President Obama. Remember him, Desi Doyen? Oh, yes. It was, uh, seems like a long time ago. Forever ago. Was, it really does. Anyway, I'm looking forward to catching up with uh, Jason on that and other matters shortly. Uh, and no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take Trump's bait today. His, his tweet that uh, he put out shortly after the release of the Senate GOP's secret health care bill, I'm not going to take the bait Maybe we'll later I'll take the bait, but not now. <laughs> not I'm not moment. going to. Now uh, w- Now we finally see, now that the Republicans have released in the Senate their secret health care bill, we see uh, just a few of the reasons why the uh, GOP has been hoping to keep this thing quiet, keep this thing a secret in the Senate for as long as possible. 
it is not good. Um, but but uh, as the League of Women Voters uh, described it in a statement shortly after the release, the Better Care Reconciliation Act, that's what they're calling it, the Better Care Reconciliation Act, is even worse than the version that we saw pass in the House of Representatives and is not worthy of this great nation. The cuts to Medicaid will be massive and will destroy the system that so many Americans rely on. This is a nasty bill that will hurt millions of Americans, and we urge senators to reject it. This is the League of Women Voters coming out and using language like this. Uh, You know, usually quite staid organization uh, to be using language like this. They say it is not at all surprising that this bill is a terrible one. The legislation developed in secret and rushed to passage is usually trying to hide something. Like the House bill, they say the Senate plan will cut coverage uh, and raise costs for millions of Americans while giving a huge tax break, a huge tax break to the wealthiest individuals and large corporations. The senators who wrote this bill should be ashamed of themselves, according to the League of Women Voters. But before the bill was even released today, Capitol Hill police were uh, forced to, well, they they forcibly removed protesters, many of them who were elderly themselves and in wheelchairs from outside the hallway of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's office at the Capitol amid chance of no cuts to Medicaid. In the minutes uh, after Senate Republicans released the text of their bill, uh, all hell sort of broke loose there in the hallway and they started hauling these people off in their wheelchair. I know that's that's what's really dramatic about this video is these people are in wheelchairs, some of them severely disabled. They were captured on, on video picking up and removing protesters from the hallway as others chanted behind them. Three officers were carrying each protester down the hallway. These old men, these old women, one of whom continued to chant even as the police removed him. They were staging a die-in against the bill outside of McConnell's office. The uh, The Senate uh, bill proposes deeper, deeper long-term cuts to Medicaid than its House predecessor, amid other concerns about the new secretly drafted legislation that even most Senate Republicans had not been allowed to see until today. And remember, this was supposed to be the uh, the nicer, the, the version with heart, as Donald Trump keeps calling it. He called the House the House bill that he celebrated when it passed. He called that mean. He said he wanted a bill with more heart coming out of the Senate. So, more heart apparently means more cuts to Medicaid that is going to direct uh, directly affect the elderly. Oh, directly harm, not just the elderly, but people who are disabled and children, especially children who are born with, you know, important, uh, very difficult birth defects. Yep. And you know, I think it's two out of every three people in nursing homes. Yep. Uh, that's exactly what it is. We talked about that a little earlier this week. Yeah. A lot of people think of Medicaid as something that is a, a program for the poor. But a huge uh, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of elderly end up uh, having to use Medicaid to pay for nursing home care near the end of their lives. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, Republicans are now um, many of them actually supporting this bill incredibly enough. Democrats, as you might have predicted, uh, they're against it. Senator Bernie Sanders uh, was, I think, the first out of the gate condemning this bill. 
um, calling it worse than expected. He said for weeks, Republicans have been drafting their health care bill in secret, refusing to hold hearings or publicly debate it. Now we know why the bill Republicans announced today is even worse than expected and by far the most harmful piece of legislation I have seen in my lifetime. That's my Bernie Sanders. <laughs> this bill has nothing to do with health care, he said in his statement. It has everything to do with an enormous transfer of wealth from working people to the richest Americans. Republicans want to throw millions of Americans off of health insurance, says the senator, including thousands of Vermonters, slash Medicaid, defund Planned Parenthood, and substantially increase premiums on older Americans. Meanwhile, he says their bill would provide over $200 billion in tax breaks to the top 2% and hundreds of billions more to the big drug insurance, uh, drug and insurance companies that are ripping off the American people. Sanders went on to say, our job now is to rally millions of Americans against this disastrous bill to make sure it does not pass the Senate. Instead of throwing tens of millions of Americans off of health insurance, we must guarantee health care as a right to every American. Sanders, of course, was hardly the only Democrat to come out with guns ablazing against this bill today. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, for example, tweeted, No tweaks by amendment can fix this monstrosity. If you vote for this evil, intellectually bankrupt bill, it will ruin millions of lives. Ezra Klein of Vox.com summed up the GOP Senate's Better Care Reconciliation Act in one sentence, quote, poor people pay more for worse insurance. Adding, it's not complicated, it's just cruel. Health expert Larry Levitt tweeted similarly. He said, under the Senate bill, low-income people would pay higher premiums for bigger deductibles. Levitt of the Kaiser Family uh, Foundation, uh, Health Foundation, later explained, in broad strokes, the Senate bill is just like the House. Big tax cuts, big cut in federal health spending, big increase in the uninsured. Or as Ezra Klein explained in more detail, uh, describing the cuts to current Obamacare premium subsidies and cuts to requirements for the plans that are offered on the Affordable Care Act exchange, he said low-income Americans get less money to buy crummier insurance. Other than that, Trump's promise for a plan that is less mean uh, than the House uh, GOP's version that has more heart. Uh, it's it's going great. Uh, much less, by the way, don't forget, he said that uh, Trump had promised over and over again that uh, his health care plan would be better, would be less expensive health care for more people. So far, neither the House nor the Senate plan seem to offer what the president has repeatedly promised. It does not seem to be borne out in this uh, in this Senate bill which is, in fact, in many ways uh, worse than the uh, than the House version. Specifically, uh, the, the bill would impose deeper long-term cuts to Medicaid than the House version would. It would eliminate the bulk of the Affordable Care Act's taxes uh, on wealthy people, so they're going to get their money back, and it will offer tax credits for individual insurance plans that are technically more generous than the House versions, particularly for lower-income people, but still far stingier 
than the subsidies that are available under the current law, under the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. The Better Care Reconciliation Act comes after two and a half months of secret closed-door GOP-only negotiations. Remember the same Republican Party that had complained that uh, when there were dozens of, of uh, hearings over the Affordable Care Act under Obama and a year-long public process, they complained at that time that it was being rammed down our throats. Now they are doing far worse. They are uh, talking about that, that, well, there could be changes uh, still to this bill, but they are hoping to bring it to a vote just next week that quickly. Not to put this in perspective, during the run-up to Obamacare, they had 25 days of debate on the Senate floor. Here we're going to have, at best, at most, 20 hours. Nonetheless, uh, all of this signals an approach uh, that largely sticks to the House Republican legislation. That uh, legislation, the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, had said would result in 23 million fewer people having health coverage. Uh, and uh, that plan uh, shortchanges the government assistance in uh, in health coverage, particularly for lower income people, passes uh, on to the states the decisions on how to make up for the shortfall here. The uh, Obamacare Medicaid expansion would still be wound down under the Senate plan as it was in the House bill, but it will be done so more gradually. The so-called transition phase would be longer under the Senate version starting in 2021 with the federal match rate uh, for the expansion for those who have uh, the expanded population of Medicaid being reduced over time until 2024 to appease the right wingers. Uh, who don't like this longer period of, uh, of of funding Medicaid expansion, the Senate bill introduces steeper cuts to the traditional Medicaid program. Like the House bill, the GOP Senate bill will transform the program from its current unlimited uh, rate, unlimited match rate. In other words, whatever you needed if you were on, Medica- on Medicaid would be paid for by the federal government. We're doing away with that in this bill. Uh, and states instead will be given a limited amount of money per enrollee in the program each year. If those people run out of money, too bad for those people. The tax credits that the bill offers uh, sticks to the Affordable Care Act model in allowing them to uh, scale with age and income. The House bill only dealt with age. However, it cuts the, the, the subsidies, cuts the subsidies off at the 350 uh, percent of the federal poverty line. So if you make more than 350 percent of the federal poverty line, you'll get nothing here. Instead, uh, the Affordable Care Act had gone all the way up to 400 percent of the federal poverty line. That's the current law. And even that was not enough. That should likely be expanded to a lot of people who still cannot afford insurance. And yet the Republican bill is going to make it worse. It also resets the percentage of medical costs that insurers must cover in the basic plans on the exchange. Instead of uh, the ACA's 70 percent of costs under the new bill, only 58 percent of those costs will be covered. Larry Levitt of the Kaiser Foundation says the Senate bill shifts the subsidies so that younger people will pay less and older people will pay a lot more as a percentage of income. 
The language released on Thursday also bars the use of federal tax credits for any health insurance plans that cover abortion, as did the House, I believe. And uh, the bill also defunds Planned Parenthood, where many uh, tens of thousands of, of, of women uh, oh, oh. get oh, their no, health care no, no. there. That's wrong. Millions of women there get their health care yeah. there. For, for many women, Planned Parenthood is their only actual health care provider that they see on any regular basis. Yep. This is this is extremely damaging to women. And uh, one of those uh, women who you might expect would be not very happy about this bill uh, was uh, Elizabeth Warren, the senator uh, from Massachusetts. Uh, and, you know, she talked as well about how Medicaid is, you know, is seen by many as only for poor people. But in fact, more than one in three, I think almost two and three, I think you had it right, uh, of elderly Americans ends up needing Medicaid in order to pay for nursing home care. That was just one of the points Senator Elizabeth Warren talked about in her uh, fiery speech today on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Today we finally got a look at the monstrosity of a bill that the Republicans have been hiding behind closed doors for weeks. And it's pretty clear now exactly who they were working for. This bill has one flashing neon sign after another telling us who the Republican Party cares about. And it is not American families. The Senate bill is crammed full with just as many tax cuts as the House bill. How to pay for all those juicy tax cuts for their rich buddies? I'll tell you how. Blood money. Medicaid is the program in this country that provides health insurance to one in five Americans, to 30 million kids, to nearly two out of every three people in a nursing home. These cuts are blood money. People will die. Let's be very clear. Senate Republicans are paying for tax cuts for the wealthy with American lives. That was Senator Elizabeth Warren calling uh, calling it blood money. Uh, strong language, uh, but true. Remember, back in January, Mitch McConnell, uh, the majority leader for the Republicans, was complaining about Obamacare, that there were still 25 million Americans who aren't covered by it, saying that their plan was going to cover more people. Well, uh, we'll see the... Uh, the Congressional Budget Office score next week, but it is unlikely this plan is going to cover more people than Obamacare. Uh, and yet you got uh, con folks on the conservative right in the Senate Republican caucus uh, who say this does not go far enough. Senator Rand Paul and uh, three other Republicans say they oppose the, the bill as it is currently written, though they suggested that changes could be made that will win their support. No doubt. We will uh, be talking about uh, all of this, I suspect, in the days ahead as um, they work towards passage next week before the July 4th holiday. In the meantime, the secret process under which that health care bill in the Senate uh, was created, that is not the only secret process going on right now in Washington, D.C., and it's not only under this administration that secrecy and the overclassification of information has long been a problem. We're only now learning what damage, for example, that thousands of documents released by Chelsea Manning way back in 2010 has or hasn't caused. That story and more with FOIA terrorist Jason Leopold is straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, 
Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Dirty Little Secrets. The government seems to have quite a few of them. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Let me start here. Senior uh, CNN, senior White House correspondent Jim Acosta railed against a lack of transparency in the Trump administration on Thursday after an apparent White House decision to bar television cameras from recording a normal White House press briefing. In a series of tweets today, Acosta noted that the White House had refused to allow cameras to record today's briefing, consequently taking away voters' ability to see and hear what they're doing. Acosta tweeted, I'm off today, but it must be said that your White House is taking away your right to see and hear your government answer questions today. The White House, he said, is holding what is essentially a normal briefing in the briefing room, but they aren't allowing cameras to record what's being said. Acosta also said that while pen and pad gaggles are common, where, you know, they just meet with uh, reporters off camera, uh, the White House, in this case, their refusal to hold on-camera press briefings is different. It's a briefing without the cameras. Why is that, Acosta asks. The reason why is that your government doesn't want you to see and hear what they're doing in the United States of America. He goes on to tweet in this Twitter storm today, the United States of America should respect the freedom of the press. You know that freedom? It's in the Constitution. What would the GOP say if Hillary Clinton were to shut down the cameras in the briefing room and the media went along with it? Well, the Trump White House's new restrictions on press briefings is understandably receiving pushback from broadcast journalists and marks a very new and I would say troubling moment for secrecy by a presidential administration. Executive branch secrecy in and of itself is hardly new and it's been used to keep the public for years under administrations both Republican and Democratic in the dark about key government policies and findings. While folks like Jim Acosta and CNN largely point cameras at government officials and tell the public whatever they say, uh, whether it's a lie or not, it's largely left to print journalists to do the real digging into stuff that the government does not want you to know about. 
Uh, and those uh, journalists have to do have to do it through tools like the Freedom of Information Act, which often takes years, court cases, a whole lot of money and a whole lot of persistence in order to effectively shake out government secrets into the public realm. Those efforts, of course, are often made even more difficult by government classification of documents. Many call it over-classification of documents, and many such documents are completely unknown to journalists at all, making it largely impossible for them to even seek Freedom of Information Act requests in the first place because they don't know what is there, and consequently what our government is up to in secret. In many of those cases, it falls to whistleblowers like Bradley, now Chelsea Manning, to leak documents to the public so we have even a clue what our government is doing, supposedly on our behalf. That was the case with many of U.S. Army private and intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning's uh, uh, thousands of documents that she released concerning the Iraq and Afghanistan wars way back in 2010, including the infamous collateral murder video released by WikiLeaks. Remember that? And with footage of American Apache helicopters uh, gunning down at least 10 men in Baghdad, including two Reuters journalists. The helicopter uh, pilots also fired on a van that had stopped to help the wounded members of that first group that were gunned down by uh, U.S. pilots. Two children in the van were wounded and their father was killed. Manning also released hundreds of thousands of U.S. Uh, secret U.S. diplomatic cables, which officials argued at the time had caused damage to, damage to national security and put U.S. troops and allies in great danger. Well, this week at BuzzFeed News, journalist Jason Leopold writes, In the seven years since WikiLeaks published the largest leak of classified documents in history, the federal government has said they caused enormous damage to national security. But a secret 107-page report prepared by a Department of Defense task force and newly obtained by BuzzFeed News tells a starkly different story. Here to describe that starkly different story told by the documents finally released under the Freedom of Information Act after years of persistence is Jason Leopold, our friend. He is an investigative journalist, formerly at Vice News, now at BuzzFeed News. He's the author of the L.A. Times bestseller News Junkie, a memoir. But, of course, he is uh, probably far better known these days by the description used for him by one of the government agencies on the receiving end of, of his many Freedom of Information Act requests. They called him a FOIA terrorist, a name that I believe he now proudly wears, uh, and as well he should, given all of the otherwise secret government information that we pay for, by the way that he has unearthed and uncovered through FOIA requests and court cases meant to enforce them. Jason spent many years covering the Guantanamo Bay Detention Center, as well as government whistleblowers like Chelsea Manning and much more. Jason Leopold, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Great to be back with you, Brad. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Uh, listen, before we get to this damage assessment uh, regarding those yep. the, uh, the Manning leaks that uh, you were able to obtain, uh, I know broadcast journalism isn't necessarily your beat, but I'm curious if you have thoughts on this White House, uh, th this new and really unprecedented effort to shut down, essentially, White House briefings, to keep cameras out of them. What's that about? And, and should we be concerned about that as you see it? You know, I think in the just overall sort of picture about the fact that 
you have an administration that does operate under uh, intense secrecy, uh, that wants to limit access, right? Access being the key word there uh, that uh, journalists depend upon. Journalists who cover these briefings, journalists who travel with, uh, say, uh, uh, various government officials, Secretary of State Mm -hmm. Rex Tillerson, uh, and the fact that, uh, you know, his recent trips, there was, I think, maybe a single journalist present, and in some cases, none at all. Yeah. Uh, should we be concerned? I think that, uh, it, it's not a, it, it, it's a, well, let me, let me, before I actually answer the question, let mm-hmm. me say that it is important to have, you know, that type of access, you know, to, to, uh, ask questions, to pepper, you know, the press secretary, uh, with questions, to be able to confront, uh, our elected officials. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, however, um, you're not going to get anything out of that. You know, the, 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 it, it, at this point, it's, you know, it's almost a, more of a sideshow. There's more interest in seeing, you know, mm-hmm. Sean Spicer simply be by the, because of what he may say uh, and uh, reactions by the media. But the public is not really going to gain any real, you know, insight into the administration's thinking uh, simply by watching a press conference. Uh, you're not you're not going to be able to confront uh, any of these officials and then find out uh, some deep dark secret as a result. No, you, you're not. But it does seem like it allows them to operate more in in secret. Uh, you know, th- this works out well for them. Um, you know, to not have not to not be confronted. I mean, when we look at your work, Jason, uh, you know, sometimes it takes years and years to get at this information. And I know that's not necessarily what comes out in a White House press briefing. Um, but, you know, we often don't have years and years to to wait for some of this information. Uh, and we've heard for years, for example, when it comes to these uh, leaks from uh, whistleblowers like Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden and so forth about the loss of lives that will come from the disclosures. Uh, but the government rarely, if ever, is forced you know, to actually detail those dangers. And I know that was the case certainly in the in, with the Manning leaks. And now that she, uh, well, she was sentenced to 35 years in Leavenworth for those disclosures, seven of which right. she served. Uh, before her sentence was mercifully commuted last year by President Obama. Well, so now we finally have, all of these years later, we have this damage assessment that, uh, you know, uh, the government officials have been referring to for so many years. Is is that essentially what this Defense Department uh, report is about, the damage that was caused by those leaks? That's exactly what it is. And let me just, before we get into this, mm-hmm. let me just say a note about, you know, the, uh, the press briefing mm-hmm. and the access. Access is really important. It's really important to confront government officials. So I don't want my comments or my remarks to be taken uh, as, as I'm, I'm uh, uh, downplaying the importance of that. Mm-hmm. That's really important. It's really important that Jim Acosta, you know, raise awareness about it. And uh, it's important that, you know, government officials uh, are, are held to account. And, and in some cases, you know, that's what's uh, noteworthy about those briefings. With regard to this Defense Department of report, let me put this into context mm-hmm. because this is really, really important. And over the past couple of days, I've seen some uh, uh, some really passionate responses to this damage assessment. First, let me just say it's an 107-page report. Uh, half of that report was withheld. Mm-hmm. Okay, the government withheld it under a number of different FOIA exemptions. In addition to that. Uh, they redacted numerous pages. So ultimately what I was left with or was 35 pages of heavily redacted material 
about this so-called damage that resulted from the leaks. What we can take out of this report, this final report, mm-hmm. written in June uh, in 2011, I think it was June 2011, I don't have it in front of me, mm-hmm. but it was uh, uh, one year after the leaks were published. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. And one year after the leaks were published, the Defense Department assessed that there was no real impact, uh, negative impact, to U.S. interests. And they say that, mm-hmm. U.S. interests. No impact to U.S. interests or the strategic impact to operations in Afghanistan or Iraq. It does note that it had the potential, could cause potential harm right. for uh, Afghans, Iraqis, uh, interpreters, uh, intelligence sources. Again, potential harm one year after. So they didn't assess that. Ultimately, there was no damage. There was, you know, they... they you know, realize that the damage, if, if there was any damage that was done, <clears throat> it, it had no real impact on, you know, what our purpose was or, or what our goal was. Mm-hmm. What they were concerned about <clears throat> in some cases um, were, as you know, these leaks revealed a real, real, the, the real ugly side of the wars, mm-hmm. okay? The, the casual, civilian casualties <clears throat> that were unreported. Mm-hmm. And the concern that the Defense Department had, as they note in this report, was that the press, the media, would use this, would use these revelations to undermine the U.S. war effort in those countries. So that was a big concern that they had. But ultimately, and, the and, leaks... And that's, not a, that's a political concern. That's not a life-or-death concern, as they seem to be arguing at the time. And it does say, again, potential harm to mm-hmm. you know, the lives of the Afghan pop, you know, the population. Mm-hmm. But what's really important, you know, well, the reason I'm saying this is that uh, what's been missed uh, in, in you know, the, some of the commentary revolving around this is that this was a report, this was the final report of this uh, uh, so-called information review task force, this task force that was set up uh, by the Defense Department to review all of the documents leaked to WikiLeaks. They mm-hmm. did a line-by-line review. 20 different government agencies, including the NSA, the FBI, the CIA, Department of Homeland Security, uh, to review all of the documents. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> they prepared a number of different reports, and this was the final report. And in this final report, a year after the leaks, they didn't say that, look, you know, there were <clears throat> a number of deaths Mm-hmm. Uh, innocent lives that were lost as a result of this. They were saying that, hey, look, you know, in some cases, some of these, some, some of the documents that were leaked really uh, uh, were no big deal. Uh, they, they, they actually say that. So, and this was uh, in regard, for example, just uh, pulling out a quote or two here from the uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of Iraq-related military documents and State Department cables. Uh, concerning Iraq, the report assesses, quote, with high confidence that disclosure of the Iraq data set will have no direct personal impact on current and formal U.S. leadership in Iraq. 
I mean, that's sort of saying right then and there for uh, at least for the Iraq effort that, uh, hey, this uh, no damage at all concerning Iraq. They seem to be a, a, a little more cautious when it came to Afghanistan, saying it would not result in significant impact to U.S. operations, but did have that potential to cause serious damage uh, to intelligence sources and so forth. Is it possible, Jason Leopold, that the worst damage, the worst assessment was in those uh, redacted portions. Uh, I mean, I, I think more of the document was redacted than released. It. Yeah, I doubt it. <clears throat> I doubt that 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 you will uh, um, that, that those redacted pages contain anything about uh, the, you know the terrible damage that uh, that mm-hmm. resulted. I think that those redacted pages more or less dealt with you know military plans and operations that even though were already known from the release of the material were still, you know, the government still de- deemed it classified, and that's why they redacted it when they gave it to me. You know, despite mm-hmm. the fact that this was publicly released, uh, it was classified. Look, you know, the, the, the serious damage, if there was any real serious damage that resulted from those leaks, you could be sure that would have resulted in the first year, mm-hmm. right, if, if, if not less, right. um, then that, that uh, the leaks were published. But... Um, that's why I wanted to note that this report was written one year after the leak. Right. So there was nothing there that said it. They're still talking potential damage. Perhaps they're worried that you know potential damage would would result later on down the road. Um, but we have not heard about it yet. And you know this is a this this, this so-called threat to national security um, that uh, that resulted or that the government claims resulted you know was used in the trial of uh the the, the court martial of um chelsea manning yeah so, I, I, uh, that I, came up quite a that came up quite a bit and they they were referencing the this particular report and others like it mm-hmm. so um <clears throat> you know here we are as i you know as i noted in the story seven years later um and we haven't heard anything i mean there, there there's nothing that you know that that we've been able to stand up, and I think largely because uh, you know a, a lot of the material dealt with you know casualties uh, in uh, uh, un, un, unreported, previously unreported casualties uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, the State Department cables may have. I, I will say this: I think that the State Department cables, the damage that it caused, was probably embarrassment. Mm. Uh, to the U.S. government, based on what was being discussed, mm-hmm. um, there, you know, there may have been <clears throat> some uh, lives that were threatened. Again, I don't know if that's in, you know, in any of the uh, redacted pages there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, you know, they're 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 more or less saying here, hey, look, you know, we can still <clears throat> operate much in the same way that we had been operating in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, before these leaks took place, the, you know, and uh, we'll have to monitor if, 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 if the leaks, you know, would end up causing any harm to, you know, the Afghan population. But when you look at an assessment, when you look at a report that the government prepares like, you know, such as this, yeah. they have to put in that, you know, what is the potential damage? You know, there's the damage, and mm-hmm. then there's the potential damage. So they have to assess that, uh, and that was just their assessment. And if 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 there was anything sort of backed up, mm-hmm. saying, "Look, you know, lives were just lost here. A uh, number of innocent uh, uh, civilians or or, or or informants were killed," um, 
I doubt that's in any of the you know redacted pages. Well, you I, would think, I read this you would think as th- a report. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Well, no, no, I was going to say you would think that it, 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 that the most damaging information like that, you know, without revealing sources and methods, that they would want to get that out. The government would have an interest in making sure that was unredacted when when these documents were released. Did you? Absolutely, and, and and that's why I said, you know, that's why uh, you know when I look at the passion, yeah, the passion it responses by people. Uh, hey, yeah, so this, this, I've experienced this when I wrote a similar report about Snowden. You know, there, there was a damage assessment uh, that I obtained via FOIA on the Snowden leaks, right? <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me, it was um, <clears throat> the damage there was deemed to be far more. Uh, 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 catastrophic mm-hmm. uh, than uh, the damage here. And a lot of this is just, it, it ends up just being embarrassment. And I know it's very difficult for people to believe it, but there also gets down, it gets down to uh, sometimes a couple of camps where you feel that, you know, you either love Edward Snowden, you love what Chelsea Manning did, or you hate them. Is- and so sometimes it's hard to separate that. And sometimes people have a real hard time understanding that, look, you could you could release a trove of classified material, and perhaps it will benefit our adversaries. Um, in terms of what the damage is, you know what what mm-hmm. ultimately happened as a result. Um, sometimes it's just not there. It may mean maybe it meant they lost some sources. Uh, you know, informants no longer wanted to work as informants. Um, but as you read that, you know that that particular those two sort of. Uh, 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 quotes that you took out of the uh, you know the report there, you know no no strategic impact on on U.S. operations in Afghanistan, and it really didn't undermine anything in Iraq. Are, are important takeaways. Jason Leopold, you said you you got uh, a lot of passionate response. Um, passionate response in what sense? People who were angry that you released this uh, document. People who were still angry at at Manning. What was the response you got? I think that, I think the the uh, well I should say the response was certainly you know, anger at Manning still, but it was anger at the, at the sort of framing, uh, at the way, with, the way in which I framed the story that there was no real harm, mm. uh, that, uh, uh, you know, people felt that there must be some harm. And certainly, look, you release 700,000 uh, sure. pages of, uh, of classified records. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's going to be some sort of harm in the sense of, you know, how it harms the, the, the government in, in simply in the, in the sense that um, they didn't have very good security. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, security, I mean, uh, you know, uh, as, as far as leaks security. and, yeah, as far as uh, the, the access to information and the possibility that that yeah. can be leaked. But even there, you would think they probably learned something from this and they have probably hardened uh, their system since i mean we, we saw that uh, uh whistleblower uh, recently the nsa contractor uh, reality winner who released documents uh, regarding the uh, 2016 election and boy they had her arrested the next day it seems like right. uh so you know they may have put new uh, safeguards in charge uh, in place thanks to uh, some of these uh, previous leaks in any event uh, very quickly, there's a few other things I want to get to uh, here, Jason. Uh, yeah. how, how long did it take you to get this uh, document uh, out from the government? So this was uh, a, a, I think, two and a half years it took to, to, to get this report. And, and it was only because um, it actually grew out of my lawsuit, a federal uh, FOIA lawsuit that I had against the same <clears throat> agency mm-hmm. 
uh, when I obtained the Snowden documents. So when I obtained the Snowden damage assessment documents, uh, there was an explanation about this task force, and it was uh, explained uh, in records that I received that a ta- this task force that was set up to assess the damage from Snowden, <clears throat> excuse me, grew out of the WikiLeaks task force that was uh, 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 set up to assess the damage out of uh, uh, out of the release of documents by WikiLeaks. So I didn't really know that you know that it existed, and uh, when we found out that they were putting together similar reports, you know, filed a Freedom mm-hmm. of Information Act request and then sued the government to obtain it. So <clears throat> it took quite you know, quite a while to get those records. And, and that's uh, one of the... You know, two that's, years is a long time. It, two years is a long time. And, uh, but that, you know, that's one of the uh, the points I made there in the opening that a lot of times I, you know, journalists don't even know what to request because we don't know what exists, uh, which, by the way, you know, m- might go back to the other original point concerning those White House briefings. Sometimes they say stuff uh, that I know has led uh, you and others to say, oh, really? Let me, uh, let me submit a FOIA on that. Uh, to get more details. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that's absolutely yes. An, 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 uh, another downside of, of of hiding uh, the White House uh, briefings in that fashion. True, and and you know it's 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 again it's important. I'm I'm you know someone who believes mm-hmm. uh, uh, passionately myself in in you know transparency and open government, and uh, that's the antithesis of that. You know what they're what they're trying to do. Uh, you know I think that would also extend. Uh, to uh, Congress, I, I don't know if you recall, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago they were trying to uh, say that reporters are were, were not allowed to uh, conduct interviews or film uh, uh, lawmakers uh, going through the hallways of, of, uh, of right. Congress, which is just ludicrous. Um, so, you know, th- this type of behavior kind of trickles down to uh, various levels within the federal government, and let's face it, it also, I've seen, it also goes into the local and state governments as well. This, this intense secrecy mm-hmm. where elected officials who are accountable to the people uh, are simply not interested in speaking uh, and then uh, try and, and uh, uh, you know, set up some new rules that uh, basically, you know, bars the press from uh, confronting them. A fish rots from the head down, as they say. And I know that, uh, speaking of Congress, a couple of colleagues of yours uh, over at BuzzFeed reported a, a few weeks ago as well uh, that uh, a House committee had tried, this was actually the Committee on Financial Services, had told the Treasury Department to decline FOIA requests relating to communications yep. between those offices. And this is a case where you've got a Congress, in case people don't understand, you've got Congress, which is uh, essentially exempt. They have exempted themselves from the uh, uh, FOIA rules. And they're trying to say that communications with an executive agency, which are, are covered by uh, uh, FOIA, that those communications themselves should be exempt because they include the con- uh, communications with Congress. That seems new and troubling. Am, am I understanding that uh, correctly, Jason? <clears throat> yes, you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly what they're doing, and they're, they're <clears throat> essentially trying to block the release of uh, of any records. And, and, and in a sense, you know, one of the one of the great things about FOIA is that, yes, as you noted, Congress is exempt. But I can actually, you know, go around Congress and and go to a, a government agency that is subject to FOIA and say, I want all your communications 
with this particular committee or this particular member of Congress. And so what they're trying to do is saying, hey, we don't give you permission uh, or, or you're, you're prohibited from releasing any of those communications to anyone who requests it. Uh, that is new. It's incredibly troubling. Uh, and uh, it's, it's just another uh, sign, uh, an example of the intense government secrecy that uh, that uh, we're starting to see. And are you seeing, because I know you faced a lot of frustration, even under Democratic administrations, under Obama, trying to shake loose uh, you know, some of these documents. Are you noting a, a specific marked difference uh, in the responses now under this new administration than you were under the Obama administration to, uh, to your FOIA requests? Yes, I, I would say that uh, it's, it, it, it feels a bit more difficult right now to obtain records. Uh, I have to say there's a part of the reason that exists is because there's still this massive backlog that these agencies are contending with from years past and uh, the previous administration. But it, it feels as if it's, it's uh, going to be a, a huge battle to pry loose records out of this administration, to pry loose records out of uh, uh, the agencies in response to whatever the administration is doing or, or whatever they're undertaking. So uh, I'm already starting to see that. Look, you know, I asked for, like others have, the memo that, and, and memos that James Comey wrote mm-hmm. and was leaked to the New York Times. Uh, uh, about his interactions with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Now, he d- disclosed this. He disclosed this memo. He indicated that one was unclassified. And uh, the, but just by the fact that he disclosed it should automatically make it subject to FOIA. And the fact that it's classified and he spoke about it means it should be subject to FOIA and it should be released. Uh, but the FBI is saying that it's part of an ongoing law enforcement investigation. That is true. Uh, that's what they said to me uh, last week mm-hmm. uh, when I received a letter from them. But you know, again, this is a this class of, uh, or this unclassified memo that has already been characterized and discussed should be uh, disclosed. Um, you know that that one can make an argument. Well, you know, it is part of a law enforcement investigation. Uh, sure, but. You know, in other instances, I'm seeing, again, some in, some intense secrecy. Look, you know, just a few minutes ago, Brad, I tweeted out uh, a letter I received from the Justice Department right. about uh, Trump's transition, right? I asked for transition documents. Sometimes transition documents, by the way, can be really helpful to get, gain an understanding of how an agency, uh, what an agency is doing, what, how they're changing, uh, what their plans are. Uh, and uh, a division within the, or component within the Justice Department said, hey, um, we have 789 pages, but we're withholding 789 pages. We'll give you some, but we're going to withhold 789 pages uh, under a certain exemption. So uh, it, it, it's difficult, and I think some of these agencies are really having trouble uh, trying to figure out how to respond to requests largely because you have a president now who is tweeting, who is arguably, you know, declassifying, right. uh, instantly declassifying information that would otherwise 
you know, remain secret. He's pier- yeah, he, he's he's piercing the veil of secrecy when he talks about these documents that then should give you uh, and us as uh, the American people and as journalists the right to look at what it is that he is actually referring to. You know, when it comes to things like uh, the, the, the Comey memo, sure, there's an investigation, but it's also... Uh, not a classified document. It's also, you know, been discussed. We shouldn't have to wait for years to see it. It's certainly of public interest, no question about it. But, you know, with this government, uh, and this has gone on for a long time, you know, they withhold information uh, that is certainly not the part of, uh, you know, part of an investigation. You've got a story yesterday at BuzzFeed. Just to lighten things up before we go, I'll just point folks over to (laughs) BuzzFeed.com. You and David Mack, uh, a document revealing that a bunch of CIA staffers were fired for stealing snacks from vending machines. And I note that um, this... (laughs) This happened four years ago, and we're only hearing yeah. about it now. So if they're willing to keep that yeah. kind of nonsense secret, uh, I can only imagine what else they're trying to keep secret. Jason, uh, I hope you will continue to uh, force them to not keep these things uh, secret as much as possible. Jason, Leop- I'm going to try my darndest. Thank you, Brad. Uh, keep at it, brother. Jason Leopold, you can find his work at BuzzFeed.com, and you can and should follow him on the Twitters at Jason Leopold. Thanks, Jason. Always great talking to you, my friend. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. Okay, when we return, we will take Donald Trump's bait very quickly, his big, dumb, stupid tweet today. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Yeah, well, too late for the president of the United States to talk about American (laughs) idiots. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, well, we didn't take, Desi Doyen, we didn't take debate earlier uh, of this tweet that Donald Trump put out just really minutes after the Republicans had released their uh, house plan, yeah, their, their sure, health plan in the Senate I'm today. I'm sure the timing of that release had nothing to do with the really awful bill and the awful press that the Republicans are getting right now. Right, exactly. It came out, I, I think it was about 15 minutes later. It was it, The bill was getting slammed after it was finally released. This is the health care bill. Uh, in the Senate. And then, of course, Donald Trump comes out with this tweet and all of the media look the other way. Oh, my God, Donald Trump is tweeting about the supposed tapes that he suggested he might have had, the audio tapes of his meetings with uh, now-fired FBI Director Jim Comey. He tweeted, of course, I have no idea whether there are tapes or recordings of my conversations with James Comey, but I did not make and do not have any such recordings, says Donald Trump. Wait, I do not know, but I don't have. So he doesn't know. He he doesn't know if somebody else may have. Yeah, the first part of the tweet, he was talking about all this Ah, electronic surveillance. So maybe someone else has tapes. 
but he doesn't have any such recordings. You'll recall that he had said after uh, news of the meeting between Trump and Comey, uh, where Trump was pressuring him to end the investigation into former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, that meeting in the Oval Office, Trump came out and said, better hope there are no tapes of our conversations. And so there was questions. Did he have a Oval Office taping system? Now he says he claims he does not. And everyone is reporting it as if there are no tapes. Do you believe him? Absolutely not. I, I know. I, he may. We, we all know, as has been proven many times, there, there was that uh, deposition that he had to go under oath. And they discovered that, oh, he admitted 30 times he lied in previous cases against him. So... If he's willing to lie publicly about those things back in the past. Under oath. Well, yeah. he wasn't lying under oath at that time. In he the was deposition? admitting in this deposition that he had lied all these other times. So I think I that see. it's fairly clear that he's very likely to lie when speaking publicly and not under he's oath. He's a liar. He lies all the time. And so I think when the media just take him at his word that there are no tapes, as opposed to him having tapes and having destroyed him, destroyed them. Uh, I think they're falling for it. I don't think they should settle for it. Uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, who's uh, the ranking member of the U.S. House Intelligence Committee, he doesn't seem to be falling for it. At least uh, he's saying that uh, a tweet is not good enough. Right. They have asked for his response to Congress as far as whether uh, you know any tapes exist. He has requested them. And um, he is still waiting for them uh, for the White House to answer that response, whether or not any tapes or recordings exist or had existed or had existed. Right. Um, that these you know pur- purported White House recordings uh, that they now don't exist, says Schiff, raises as many questions as it answers. He says, while while I would certainly hope that the president's most recent statement is true, we will continue to pursue the matter with other witnesses so that the public can be assured that if recordings were ever made, they will be preserved and may be made available to the committee and ultimately to the public as well. He can't. It would be illegal for him to delete those tapes. The Presidential Records Act put in place after the uh, after the White House. Uh, I'm sorry, the Watergate scandal uh, says that any such tapes are part of that uh, presidential record and cannot be deleted. And while Donald Trump can go out and say anything he wants on Twitter. He's not under oath there. He can lie as much as he wants. He cannot lie to Congress. So we will see if the White House responds there uh, to Adam Schiff's ongoing request for those tapes. But uh, for now, at least Donald Trump says he did not have any such tape recordings. He's a liar or a bluffer, depending on how you look at it. Either way, as David Frum over at The Atlantic says today, remember David Frum is George W. Bush's former speechwriter, so he knows liars well. Um, Foreign adversaries, he says, will take note, and they're more likely to ignore Trump's threats and his promises in the future because now they see that he is a bluffer or a liar. Take your pick. So uh, that, that all matters, I guess. Uh, and of course, if you didn't know that he was a bluffer or a liar by now, I'm not sure what planet you're living on. All right, I got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, uh, to my guest today, Jason Leopold of BuzzFeed News, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. While you're there, we thank those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do on the air here every day. 
You can find, follow, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.